It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be pretty, but without judgment, what do I need to do today in order to show up for myself to know that I've made an impact to make myself a better person tomorrow? And some days it's nominal. Some days it's the hard pass on today. We're going to just go to bed and we'll try again tomorrow. But I have to look at life as a ever evolving state. Welcome to the Core Happiness Podcast. I'm your host, Casey Banks, a mindset and positive psychology coach. On this podcast, we discuss all things related to creating happiness from within. So let's do it. Welcome back to the show. Today, you are in for such a treat because I will be talking to Dr. Sarah Whedon. She is a champion of brain health and works with organizations to help create sustainable wellness strategies, allowing employees and companies to thrive. Her mission is to change the narrative of wellness to include optimizing brain health, and that would allow us to make swifter decisions, adapt more quickly to unexpected situations, and work with others in expansive and creative ways. I am so excited for this discussion. Dr. Sarah, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I want to start off today by talking a little bit about your personal experience and how your family actually influenced your mission to help avoid burnout and poor brain health. You know, it's interesting. Up until about 10 years ago, I thought there was one way to do life, right? You're raised, you have these beliefs, these core ways that you live your life. And it wasn't until about 10 years ago that I realized that you know, my dad had done corporate growing up. We had a great childhood. We were able to travel. My mom was able to stay home with us. All of those things that the quintessential American family aimed for, things were relatively easy. We went to private school, nothing against public school. Like we just, we got along with each other. And as I got older, my mom got super sick. My dad was getting unhealthy from working and traveling as much as he did. And I started to realize that all the people that I'm seeing in private practice who are coming to see me rushed on their lunch hour, who are skipping eating lunch, who are skipping running errands, are coming to see me because, number one, they don't have the flexibility in their work schedule, but they know if they skip me that the wheels start to come off the bus. So I started to put all of these things together. And so it started to dawn on me that we're all living a life waiting to retire. We're all waiting to the point where like we can choose to spend our time in a way that we want to. We can choose to spend our money the way we want to. And I just really call BS on that. I think we're just doing it wrong. And so I just really have felt to go into corporate in the least corporate way possible and just tell them that we can do things different. And the reason you're not doing things different is because you have to start acting before that motivation comes, right? Your brain will always keep you playing small and in safety. But what our brain doesn't do is say, wow, look at all these great, wonderful things that we could go do in a safe way when we're supported in the correct way to go start new industries and new trends and new everything like that. Yeah. When you say, I think we're doing it wrong, I think that is so interesting because so many of us, myself included, were raised with this expectation of you go to school, you go to college, you get a job in corporate America, you work, 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 and then, yeah, you get to retirement. And then that's kind of when, you know, you see people trying to travel or trying to live their life. And if that's the way we're doing things, we're spending so much time in corporate America starting there with saying, this is not the way we have to do things, or maybe there's a healthier way to do things for both the employee and the corporation is very interesting. So my family, we really were raised 
you know, this is how you do things. Not that they told me that, but subconsciously, I just picked up on it. And something inside me is like, you got to go teach corporate and help corporate know that their employees don't have to sacrifice their health, that they don't have to just burn themselves out. And if you love on them in a way that honors them as a person, which is the complete opposite of what they've been taught, you actually can have a happy, successful employee who doesn't want to leave your organization and you don't have to micromanage them. I absolutely love the approach that you're taking. And the reason that I love it so much is because, at least for me, when we talk about positive psychology and we talk about conditioning, people are essentially raised knowing what they know. It's what they see. It's what they're taught. And like you said, it's like nobody tells us these things. It's what we're accustomed to. It's from society. It's all the inputs that we get over time. And I see a lot of individuals trying to change within themselves. So trying to change their mindset, work on personal growth, work on personal development. But a lot of times where I'm seeing it as a coach is it's at work. It's the corporate structure. It's the way work is structured. And it prevents them, it seems, to allow the personal development to go beyond or at least go deeper than it needs to because they feel like there's this wall or a lack of support. And so it's fascinating to me that you're starting with the corporations and actually saying, look, this is a way to make sure that your employees stay healthy, stay engaged, and make sure that you're retaining them. Because I believe that that's the missing piece is the corporate support of health and wellness to the extent of looking at how it affects brain health and mental health. One of the things that you talk about is the conveyor belt mentality. Can you talk us through that? Absolutely. So we manage things externally when really we need to be managing them internally. And you probably could speak to this quite a bit. You know, I could spend the rest of my life searching for all the things outside of me that aren't working like they should and avoid all the things that I have to feel internally. And I think corporations do the same thing. They outsource problem solving when really all they got to do is like write it down in front of them and get to work. And, you know, I don't want to speak for corporate in general, but this is what the articles have been saying. People that I work with don't necessarily feel this way, which is why they feel called to work with me. Right. Most people who actually believe an employee is not really worth the time and energy to do more to invest in them, they're not going to gravitate towards me. So I, I would never bash corporate. But historically, people have told me that corporate is you plug in one thing and you get X out, right? And so when you talk about a conveyor belt, you put one thing in, you have a whole series of processes that get you to an end product that then you can sell. So I think what happens is we just plug people into the system. You're plugged into your desk. Here's your seat. Here's your job. Here's what you do. You have to do X number of hours. I need this much from you. You need to get on these calls and then you go home. And I think what we're missing is a lot of efficiency issues here because people are doing things that aren't even congruent for them. The way you do something may be different than the way I do something. And depending on how your organization is structured, you're 100% limited by how much freedom you have within the organization. And I think one of the things that we also miss with the conveyor belt mentality is you plug one thing in. So say, for instance, you have a box and at the end of this box, you're going to make a mailbox, right? And there's a whole bunch of screws and bending that needs to happen. The problem is when you put something into a conveyor belt, it's always the same. It's made of the same product. It's the same shape. And you know what? The problem that with using that mentality in organizations, small, medium, large, global, is that everybody is different. And I'm not saying everybody's different because you're wearing glasses and I'm not, and you've got a black sweater on and I have an orange sweater on. I'm saying the way we interpret the world is different. 
you and I could take the same situation and interpret it totally different. Someone could come up and compliment me on my shirt and someone could compliment you on your shirt. And we both take it two totally different ways because the only way our brain knows without retraining and without support is to fire the way it has been historically. So when we do the conveyor belt mentality, we avoid the idea that we can individualize brain health for employees without breaking the bank. Mm -hmm. It's a plug and play. I plug in, I want for every dollar I put into a wellness program, I want to get $2.71, which is what the Harvard Review put out back in 2009. We want it like an immediate plug and play. And when you plug and play, you lose a lot. You lose creativity, you lose innovation, you lose flexibility, you lose all the things that somehow we're trying to train people into having. And you can't train people into having that. They foundationally need to have expansive brains and then all of that will naturally come because they feel aided and they feel internally rewarded and all that stuff. Absolutely. It's funny to hear the monetary side of it in terms of being expensive also because I believe one of the things that I heard is that it's almost a 550 billion dollar loss annually for corporations and industries losing money with things like turnover and things like that. Yeah, it's crazy to me that we just can't let some ways that we measure success go. The world evolves, right? We're so focused on absenteeism and how many sick days that we have that, I mean, new data shows us that they're losing more productivity by presenteeism than they are by absenteeism. I just don't understand why we're so slow to update and evolve. If I have a dollar for every time I've heard in an article that employees are lazy and they don't want to go back to work, you know, I just really think it sets a false narrative for what people actually want to do. I think we've created a mental health crisis in the world where I think people are just coping. We're looking at a workforce who's challenging their own beliefs about what's happened over the last couple of years, and probably have never had someone walk alongside them to say, how do we help our brain come alongside us and help work with us, not against us? I think corporations, organizations, small, medium, and large really do have an obligation to their employees. I think people will stay in a job loyal to your company for their entire career, chasing something that we have created falsely as like the end goal. I remember having a conversation with a family member about the idea that recognizing that they've got a really important C-suite job, but at the same time, recognizing that if they got fired tomorrow, all of that supposed value would go away and how they internally have got to continue to process this idea that my value is not determined by the title of the job that I keep. I absolutely agree with you. And at least from what I've seen, even with my experience in corporate America, we do get into this mentality where we almost become robots. We show up continuously. We function at a very high level that sometimes is just not sustainable. We always have to be available. We always have to be on our phones. We feel like we have to skip lunch. We have to skip dinner. We have to skip personal functions. And we do this in order to move up, to move up the ladder, to obtain whatever the role and the title is that we feel like we should be striving for. I know for me, there were years in my career where I worked every single weekend and I worked every single holiday. And I had a moment where I realized I had not seen family or friends in a very long time. But we get into that mentality where we feel like we don't have any other choice because it's part of the work environment. And I feel like that causes a lot of stress and anxiety and quite frankly, burnout, because it's the grind of 
constantly trying to keep up and be available all in an effort to successfully climb the corporate ladder. I think when it comes to balance in life, I think people to their own demise are showing up to work, putting on a brave face and they're navigating when they're sad or they're tired. I show up 100% every day and I don't know about you, but my 100% is different every day. And listen, you and I both have had stuff happen in life that affect us. There's no way around it. With the brain being able to change, it also can change in a really negative way too. Stress, lack of sleep, not taking care of yourself, poor boundaries, all of that stuff makes the brain worse. So all of the things that you just mentioned, having people do work all the time, work on the weekends, not take breaks, all that's doing is perpetuating a sick brain. Yet everything that we want from an employee comes from a healthy brain. Yeah. Innovation, being able to work with other people. There's technology out there. I can put something on your head and I can track what your brain's doing in real time. We do a brain assessment right out of the gate, you know, where we match what's individually going on with employees and we get to match it with where do they notice the biggest gaps in their organization. So if the results of that brain assessment come out and it shows that 75% of your organization has a brain type like this, where they're highly anxious, they've got parts of their brain that are always overfiring. And then you look over here and the problems that they're having are conflict in the workforce, absenteeism and poor leadership advancement. And all of a sudden, What's over here, as far as those really hard skills, become really easy to correlate when you start recognizing that your workforce just needs a little bit more reinforcement in some of these areas. Like, how significant could that be to an organization? So, you know, the narrative that employees are not showing up in a way that honors the company, I think, is a misnomer. We don't know how to adapt in organizations. We don't know how to adapt as a society. And I feel like we're just a little bit stuck. Like, this is the way it is. No, it's not the way it is. Organizations just bought into it. I've seen people through the work that we do be able to completely change their life in six months. That doesn't mean changing your job. That doesn't mean divorcing your spouse. That doesn't mean moving out of state. You actually can show up different within six months. So I just think that we're just missing the mark here where if we can create a healthy brain with a little bit more flexibility for what they do during the day, Mm -hmm. then you get the output that you want. So I want to talk about that a little bit more, too, because there's so many, I mean, like I shared my story, but I know that there's so many people, especially in coaching and and the clients that I work with, where we do feel like we are in a situation or maybe even an environment where we are having to foster an unhealthy brain, right? We're having to do all the things that make our brain unhealthy. So what do you suggest we incorporate or are there things that we can do to incorporate into our everyday lives that would help with optimal wellness and help with protecting our brain and boosting productivity? Well, I know we have limited time here. I could go on for hours about this, but whenever I work with individuals before I started working with large organizations, I always said, pick three things. Like there's a thousand things out there that you can go do, but pick three things that not only do you enjoy, but you know are helping you. But some of the less health-related things, you know, the cliche, eat healthier, more protein, stay away from pop, that will come, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not step one. If you already have someone who's relatively unhappy, taking away the one thing that they use as a coping mechanism really is not the best way to start. So if they're a smoker, telling them to quit smoking probably is not out of the gate the best way to do it. Do I think long-term, that might be a good idea? Absolutely. But I always tell employees when they're burnt out, I always tell them, make a list of all the things that you like about your job. Because everybody I talk to 
who hates their job, when we sit down and we like really dig deep, they can come up with 10, 15, 20 things that they actually like about their job, including that they get a paycheck, that they get to put a roof over their head, that they get to pay for their child's education if they're going to school, you know, that they get to go on vacation. I think gratitude will get you a lot further in this life. And our brain is not wired to do that. I always say, make a list of the things that work and you love about your job. And it's amazing within two, three months, all of a sudden this person is like, well, I just really am so grateful for my job. You know, the people around me just really have figured it out. Nobody else has changed. It's you. You see the world that you're in a little bit different. And I always say, watch your perspective. There's always two sides to the same coin. So if you have Janice in HR, who's just really hard to work with, if you just decide the narrative that you're going to perpetuate about Janice in HR, it's really interesting when you take a step back and just say, what do I not know about this person? Mm-hmm. How can I approach the situation different without expecting a different outcome? And sometimes the way we say things and do things can be received by someone else in a way that we didn't intend it. And I think that was one of my biggest learning lessons this year in working with people is you can disagree with someone without making them wrong. Yeah. I love that you say that too, because that I think is probably the number one thing that comes up when I'm talking with clients that are unhappy with the work and we start talking about what they're unhappy with. It always comes back to another person. Another person is making my job harder. They are not carrying their weight. They're not following through, whatever it is. And I always try to put things into perspective because a lot of things are about perspective. And we don't know whatever's going on with another person. They may be going through something that we don't know. And so I try to say the same thing. Like, what could be going on with that person? Or try to think about it from another perspective. Maybe they're going through something that you're just not aware of. Or maybe that's why they reacted a certain way. And the other thing is we can never control another person. We can only control ourselves and how we respond to something. And I am a big advocate of gratitude journaling. I am a big advocate of starting your day and ending your day with gratitude. I think that that helps to change that perspective that we have about ourselves, about the world around us, about other people. So I absolutely love to hear you say that. One of the things I want to talk about too is when we start talking about brain health and we start talking about optimizing our wellness, the thing that comes up a lot is purpose and passion, especially when people are unhappy with their current situation. Or maybe like you said before about you could be all the way up to a C-suite and you think you have the security and you think that's what the end goal is. You think that's going to bring happiness. But I know I deal with a lot of clients who get there and they're still just not happy. They're still like something that's missing. And then they start to question purpose. They start to question the passion. And so I wanted to talk to you about how we can bring optimal wellness into that sense of purpose and passion. So I'm a pretty passionate person, so I feel like this is a great conversation for us to have. People tell me all the time, I pray for you every day that you stay safe because this world needs what you do. And I was like, well, gosh, that's so sweet. I mean, I don't think any of us realize the impact that we have on other people. You don't realize, you know, you pay it forward, you do something nice for someone else, you don't realize the ripple effect. So Historically, we've talked about passion in the sense of, well, I really like to paint, so I'm going to start painting. I really like to travel, so I'm going to travel. So I think passion for me is doing things that help light up the world, that help inspire other people to be passionate too. So I hate to say it, it's being more accountable. That's such a dud way. It's not a fluffy way, but we need to be more accountable. You can't delegate the things you know you need to do in your life. Nobody needs to sit down and have a four-hour dissertation about what's not working in their life and what they need to change. They know. They know they need to set better boundaries with their family. 
They know they need to drop 20 pounds. They know they need to walk every day. They know what they need to do. And unfortunately, most of us just say it's not going to move the needle at all, so why bother? But let me tell you, you can only not show up for yourself so many times. And unfortunately, the brain is like, oh, well, we don't have to honor the commitments that we made to ourselves. I can't tell you how many times over Christmas vacation, I'm going to go walk and I would go walk at the gym for whatever reason. I literally would get on maybe four minutes into it and I'm swearing in my head. I don't want to be here. I'm in my gym clothes. I'm obsessively checking my headphones. We don't want to ease into the discomfort of doing things that don't feel good because we like that instant gratification. We get a lot of fake dopamine in our days, scrolling on our phones, watching TV incessantly. So when we talk about brain health, all the things that we're attracted to, that obsessive compulsive, our brain is telling us, oh, we like this because it's dumping dopamine into our system, which makes us feel good. The problem is long-term, it's, kind of creating addicts on of us. And it's also messing with our brains as far as how we can normally process and function in the world. So I often tell people, you have to get outside, see the sunshine, go walk in fresh air, get some exercise. So when I reframe why they're exercising, why they're drinking water, why they're getting sunshine into it's helping your brain be the best it is possible so it can see the world in the best way possible, people start to make different decisions. Because when most people say they go to the gym now, it's like, "Mm, I'm supposed to, I'm getting older and that's what I'm supposed to do so I don't age. Like the narrative is so, it's just non-savory, right? But when you start saying like, I'm empowering myself so I can make different decisions so that way I can show up better in my life so I can do all the fun things I want to do, then it puts the person back in the driver's seat of their own life. So coming full circle, When you work in corporate, sometimes you don't feel like you're in the driver's seat of your own life. You feel a little bit like you're the passenger and you're going along. There's so much that you have control over if you really want to be accountable to help you put in the driver's seat, even in that role that you feel you have no control over. I bet you if you became the person you wanted to become with the things you can be accountable for, it would look a lot different for those roles that you feel like you don't have a lot of control in. Now, I'm not ultimately saying you want to stay at your corporate job. I'm not ultimately saying you want to leave it. It's just the idea of allowing people to make the decisions that are right from them from a great headspace rather than making decisions because they're mad at their fellow employees or they're not getting paid. You know, like it's just that people don't feel good Mm -hmm. and they don't know how to express to other people that they don't feel good. And like you had said earlier, they projected onto my boss is bad or I don't have enough sick time or I don't get along with my employees. And I just really feel very passionately that a lot of it is internal stuff that we're avoiding that is really clouding our judgment on really what is going on. Accountability is definitely a big one. I know a lot of times when I'm working with someone, they can say, I'm so tired. I'm so fatigued. I'm so burned out. And my question to them is usually, well, what are your habits, number one? And then two, what boundaries do you have in place to protect yourself? And then How do you show up for yourself and protect those boundaries and keep that line drawn? And usually the response is, well, I don't have boundaries or I set boundaries, but then something happens. I end up working late. And then I have to explain that once you cross that boundary and you're no longer holding yourself accountable to that boundary, no one else is going to honor that boundary either. That line that you've drawn that you're now wavering on, it's constantly going to be crossed. So we have to continuously show up be accountable, and protect ourselves. I do want to ask you, when you talk about fatigue or burnout or health issues, are there specific challenges from a corporate standpoint 
that you would like to see changed or that you're working to change? Communication is a big one. Mm. So much. If we go down the rabbit hole as far as communication, how different tiers of corporate communicate with each other and how we communicate with each other. I mean, we're such a digital society. I was just talking to my dad the other day. He received a text message and the way him and I both interpreted this text message versus what the person said was intended by the text message was like a complete 180. And again, I think there's so much energy lost in miscommunication. And I think innovation. I know people who are in corporate jobs who have so much more to give. And I don't mean because they're not working hard enough. They're not giving enough. They're not doing their job appropriately. They're not doing well on their yearly reviews. I'm just talking about like inside of them, creativity wise, they have so much more to bring in organization. The collaboration is another one that I really think is a big one that we're missing. Like Judy does this, Bill does this, Tom does this, right? It's very transactional. Yes, everybody has to have their tasks, but I think we're missing something with the collaboration, but there has to be safety. And there's two things that we didn't have during the pandemic that our brain needs is safety and collaboration being in and around people, right? Reframing that people are the problem to reframing the brain was put in a position where it had to go back into survival mode, I think is my biggest one. To watch the world recognize that the brain did exactly what it was supposed to do during the pandemic from a protective mechanism. And we need to find a way to bridge the gap. I think communication, collaboration, and giving people the tools and resources to feel safe personally, not physically safe, but help the brain feel safe and expansive and allowing organizations to feel safe and expansive. I mean, we can do anything then. I absolutely agree with that. And I think when we talk about feeling safe, another thing that has come up a lot, especially in this economy, and there's just so many layoffs happening, is the effect that I'm seeing on people where their brain is trying to process losing a job or even just the thought of losing a job, because like we talked about earlier, we have this notion of this end goal that we're trying to reach with this company. And so we have a tendency to give her all and to put ourselves and our families or whatever it is on the back burner or towards the side, trying to reach this goal with the company. And so then when we start to hear possible layoffs or if we do get laid off, that level of security or the level of what we thought was the end goal is called into question. And then there seems to be this sense of panic or it seems to be this sense of lost identity and the security of it all is gone. And then it's like, I don't feel safe. What am I going to do? I also see essentially what I call an emotional hangover. It's the level of stress that has been, let me prove myself, let me prove my worth, let me prove how valuable I am. And then if that doesn't work and for some reason I'm laid off, then now there's the stress of what am I going to do? How am I going to care for my family? And so there's like this roller coaster of emotion that it's just not feeling safe. It's feeling the fear, flight or fight response. And it seems to be growing, honestly. But at least when I look at the people that I work with, that is something that is becoming more and more common recently. So I would love, much like you, to see where we are starting to change the narrative about what safety is and what security is and then what our brains need to feel safe. Well, I always like to reframe things because I think what you said is exactly what's happening. People are afraid. Organizations are afraid. They're watching everybody else around them lay off people. So they're following in suit because they feel like they have to do that. I think we've got this false sense of security anyway, right? Yeah. I think across the board, we have a false sense of health, of time, 
of money. And I think when we reframe it, that it may be painful in the moment, but like what I am meant to do and what my goals are in this planet, what my journey is going to be, I have to go through this painful thing right now to get there. And I'm not a big advocate. I don't love when people get laid off from their jobs, but it's astounding to me how many people get laid off from their jobs. And literally their follow-up sentence was, gosh, I've been thinking about quitting for years. I haven't been that happy. And like all of a sudden it opens this door that they were afraid to walk through, that they've known they've needed to walk through, that they've now been given the opportunity to walk through. And now they're going to walk through the door. And that's where survival in life ends and expansion begins is when you don't have to micromanage what's coming down the pipeline and proactively plan all the moves to make sure that everything works out and you can trust the process and trust that you can walk into that, that's where real expansion comes in. So I would argue, you know, those are really pivotal moments in life because if you don't take that moment to really reframe that, I think you're going to play small. I could not agree more. And I absolutely love when you say that's where surviving ends and expansion begins. I am a huge advocate of that. I myself, I usually tell myself anytime that there's a change, especially a drastic change, like losing a job or starting whatever big transition happens in life, right? I look at it as an opportunity for growth. And that's always something that I try to push to my clients as well, like change the perspective of it. Instead of looking at it as a fear thing of something that was horrible that happened, look at it as an opportunity. It could be an opportunity for like you call it expansion, I call it growth, but it's an opportunity to move forward in whatever way you have. To me, that's a very exciting thing. I think to know that we have a lot of uh, control over our lives and the decisions that we make. And when things like that happen, I love to look at it as an opportunity to recenter and think about what do I want to do? What would I like my next step to be? And then move in that direction. I think that's very powerful and very empowering. So I love that you say that. Well, and most of us are on autopilot too. Yeah. But haven't thought about life, our friends. As I've done my own personal growth journey, this is after my health plummeted because I didn't recognize my own limitations, my own boundaries. Like you can't be in expansion and have your body fall apart at the same time. And so for me, I had to slow down And everybody in my life was like, I can't believe you're slowing down. I was like, no, I'm prioritizing this. I have to slow down so I can speed back up again. And so when I talk about growth, it's such a flippant term these days, growth, expansion. It's like, yeah, everybody should grow and everybody should expand. Let me tell you, it has been some of the hardest work of my life to do. But, you know, you can't go around it. You have to go through it. And it's a choice every day. And it comes back to that accountability, right? Like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be pretty, but without judgment, what, what do I need to do today in order to show up for myself to know that I've made an, a small impact to make myself a better person tomorrow? And some days it's nominal. Some days it's like, okay, that was a hard pass on today. We're going to just go to bed and we'll try again tomorrow. But I have to look at life as a ever evolving state. I think corporate has taught us that things are this way and we can only do them this way. And again, we're just here to change the narrative because I think it's doing a disservice to everybody. When you're working with corporate and you're thinking about next steps, what would you say are the two main missing components that you're talking to corporate about in terms of wellness solutions? I think it's the foundation. I think you need to know where people are at. What is going on with your workforce? You have to know what's going on with your employees and then you have to know how to help them. 
How do you understand what the current challenges are of your employees and how do you bridge the gap? And foundationally, I think most organizations don't actually know where their gaps are. You know, if you ask them, what are the three gaps in your organization? What are the three things that you think your organization needs the most right now? Most people can't say it. It'll just come back down to finances. We don't have enough employees. We don't have the right employees. You know, all that stuff that it's easy to defer to because you can't really quantify it. So I think foundationally, you got to know your employees. You got to know what's going on. And you got to know someone or bring in someone to help bridge the gap. The other part is, are you living your mission, purpose, and values? I think that's a big thing that's missing. I think if you look at the vision, mission, and values, if people have them, are they translating into how you're functioning as an organization? As an organization, you have to hold those same level of values because when things get difficult, even after your brain is healthy and you're expansive and you're doing all the things and you're smiling and you're great and you're innovative, you need to walk alongside an organization that also honors who they are as well. I think that is absolutely phenomenal. And I could not commend you enough. Also saying that from my own experience, yes, I work with clients that always want to look at what does this company stand for? What are their values? What's their mission statement? But even myself, when I was in corporate America, that's one thing that I looked at. And I would leave companies because I was like, they don't align with what they said their mission was or what they said their values were. That's not how we're working on our day to day. And I would leave because of that specifically. And then I would go look at another company to see if their values aligned with mine. We talk about company goals. We talk about metrics that we need to hit. We talk about all of these things. But at the end of the day, do those metrics, do those goals, do those OKRs, do they align with what our company mission and values are? And I think that is, to me, what I've seen as a missing link in a lot of companies. There's a lot of grit that has to come along with that. If we go to the example of, you know, employee choosing not to downsize, knowing full well that everyone else in their same industry is because of economics, your employees will show up for you different because you've now drawn the line in the sand and said, I'm here, we're going to figure this out, and I believe in us. You know, it's amazing when people are inspired, not controlled, not manipulated, not anything like that. When people are inspired because they're led from a place of confidence, big things start to happen. And I would love to see that a little bit more. I think it's not as tangible as I'd like it to be, but we can show up differently, you know? And I think it's, uh, I think part of it is you need outside help sometimes. I don't think sometimes it's just something that you can just figure out on your own. But just imagine if you had a C-suite of people who just, we're kind, expansive, tough, expected a lot, high expectations. I think that's totally fine. But I just think it just breaks down some of those walls that have been created over the years. Absolutely. Going back quickly to optimizing our brain and protecting our brain, I know we talked about accountability. And of course, there's always the basics of get enough sleep, eat right, exercise. You mentioned drinking water. We know about taking breaks. I like to say, stop scrolling social media, get out to nature, just give your brain a second to disengage. But are there any other tips or techniques that you would suggest that we do or that we should be doing in terms of protecting our brain or optimizing the health of our brain? I will give you the ones that I love the most that you probably don't hear a ton of. But first, high protein diets, lots of water, good fats, being around good people, meditation, foundationally. Perfect. For me, if you go one step further, you know, things get very strange in the world of brain health and brain science, but humming. So when you hum, 
you actually activate a nerve that calms your nervous system. So whenever I get overwhelmed or I'm feeling overly stressed or I want to strangle the person next to me, I will start to hum, hum a song, anything, hold a note, but the vibration of it stimulates the nerve to help calm the brain down. So that's my first one. If you feel like the wheels are off the bus, I use that a lot during the pandemic. I feel like it's still appropriate now. I hum. I think it's a great way to bring you back to center. How long do you need to hum until you don't want to strangle the person next to you? It's just really that simple. The other thing that I always do in a situation is I always ask myself, is what I'm thinking or is what I'm feeling true? So sometimes, you know, my people who say they're anxious or they're depressed or they don't have confidence, the things that their brain is telling them, they start to believe that it's true. It's not, right? Your brain is wired to keep you safe. It sounds so simple and it sounds so cliche, but I can't tell you how many times I find myself in a day ruminating on things that aren't even true. If I had a disagreement, I automatically start to assume that I did something wrong and they don't want to talk to me ever again. And I've created this whole narrative about something. And instead, you circle back around with them and and their feet hurt because they were wearing the wrong shoes and they were really sorry that they were a little snippy with you. Like it usually has nothing to do with you, which is the other thing. So is it true? And if it is true, this probably has nothing to do with me. And then I hate to say it. This is one of my big ones. You have to touch people. Don't be awkward about it. Don't be weird about it. But you have to touch people. If you live by yourself, you need a dog. You need a cat. If you have a spouse and you're not overly connecting right now, then you need to find a way to bridge the gap and stay in your own paper. I think staying on your own paper has been one of my favorite things that I've taught people is how much of the things that I'm tackling in my day or that I'm ruminating on aren't even mine to ruminate on. The neighbor, the mailman. You know, we can be kind and caring, but I found myself getting on everybody else's paper and I found myself getting a little screechy. That's probably a polite way of putting it in relating to other people. So I would say humming, asking myself, is this true? It probably has nothing to do with you if it is. Touching appropriately. I don't want to hear that I, you know, someone got called to HR because they listened to the podcast, appropriate touch. But I think those are all ones that just help reground us to what's going on in the present moment. That's great. I absolutely love all of those suggestions. And I love that you said meditation. I am a huge fan of meditation. I even started my morning with a guided meditation and it was essentially focused on the same thing of, is the thing that I'm stressing about even true? Which it wasn't. So that was immediately calming. But I know we're at time and I wanna thank you so much for coming on. I absolutely love this conversation. I just really appreciate you taking the time to share all of these insights with us. The pleasure was all mine. What a delightful way to spend my morning. For our listeners, if you would like to get in touch with Dr. Sarah Whedon, all contact information will be listed in the show notes, or you can visit her website, drsarahwhedon.com. That is www.drsarahwhedon.com. Dot com. That's all we have for today. We hope that you enjoyed the episode. Please take any tips or suggestions from this episode to optimize and protect your brain health. I thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to rate it or leave a review. If you have any thoughts or questions, I would love to hear from you. You can email podcast at corehappiness.com. For show notes and additional resources, you can visit www.corehappiness.com. As always, please remember, never let anyone diminish your light. 
Until next time, sending you my love.